with that said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. So you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles here. If you want one, you can feel free to raise your hand. We can bring you one. Cool. Everyone has a phone, it turns out. So, awesome. So, we've been working through the book of Acts verse by verse. And if you've been with us, we've seen some really exciting, just epic kind of stories in Acts, right? Last week, we had the jailbreak, right? Really awesome section. And I'll tell you what I think is awesome about the book of Acts and really the Bible in general. There's times where you run into a chapter where you're like, well, this doesn't seem like overly epic. It doesn't seem like over the top. Can I tell you, this is kind of to some extent the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. There are going to be days where you're like, okay, I'm here. I'm doing the seemingly mundane things. I'm not breaking out of jail today. Hopefully you're not breaking out of jail, but you know what I mean. <laughs> We're not doing the big things today, but maybe, maybe you are. But the idea, I think there's just such a real authentic authenticity in this book that if someone was trying to make this a real like oh let me convince you of all these things every page would just be like miracle 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 I think it's awesome because there's a miracle in this section I feel like we overlook it a lot of times we don't mention it in the book of Acts it's a fun section but there's a reality that today's section is about doing the little things in the Lord amen See, don't despise the day of small things. We're told that in Zechariah, right? We're told that in Haggai, and, and, and we're told that the building of the temple, like don't despise those small days where you're just building this small foundation, this humble foundation. Because there will be days when that thing's raised up and we're going to be like, man, the Lord was working in the little things, right? And now even in the little things, let me be clear, again, aren't they all to some degree a miracle of salvation? <laughs> Everything that we do in the Lord, I think the reality is the Lord sees it all as miraculous for us. We sometimes go, oh, this isn't big enough. This isn't epic enough. Those times are there. They'll come. But man, it's, it's about staying in that race day by day, walking tight with Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we're going to begin this morning actually at Acts 12, verse 25, the last verse of chapter 12. If you're at Acts 12, 25, say I'm there. Awesome. Let me pray before we jump into it. Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would just bless your word this morning, Lord. Father, I pray that you would just do, do work, Lord, in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, that you would just, Father, you, you'd move mightily through the power of your spirit and through the power of your word, Lord. We commit this time to you, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. And so it's funny, I don't know if you guys were with us for Acts chapter 7, which had 70 verses in it, and we knocked it out in the morning, and so that was a miracle, by the way. Um, <laughs> this morning, for some reason as I'm prepping, I'm like, I'm going to do all 13, right? It's like 40-something verses, 50 verses. The Lord pumped the brakes and said, we're looking at like 13 verses this week. No audible voice thing, just absolute unsettledness as I'm studying. Like, it's, we're not supposed to get the whole thing in. Can I tell you what's cool about that? That means the Lord had something in here that I didn't think he was going to have, and he's slowing us down to see what's in this section. Does that make sense? I think that's really cool. But again, we're at chapter 12, verse 25. Let me read this. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So you might say, why didn't we cover this verse last week? I believe that this fits the narrative of Scripture we're about to touch. It, it, I feel like it should be verse 1 of 13. Who am I? No one important. So I don't get a say in it. It's printed different in the Bible. But remember, the, the man-made placements and numbers and breaks in the chapters, those are all man-made, right? They did the best they could. The Word of God is absolutely God-breathed and completely inerrant, right? The Word itself. But remember, when this was written, this was not written with little verse numbers next to it. 
It was on scrolls, right? So we tried to break it down for comprehension. This verse makes sense to go into the next section because what we have is we have Barnabas and Saul returning to Antioch. They were going out to Jerusalem, if you remember, in Acts 11.30, they were committed the responsibility to take a, a, a monetary offering from the church of Antioch, a Gentile church, and take it up to Jerusalem, the Jewish church there, so that they could support them for the time of famine that was coming. You guys remember that? And we talked about the, the, the signs of love between the church. That the Jewish church that used to despise Gentiles, right? They got a warning from the Lord that a famine was coming. And now that they're in Jesus Christ, they don't despise Gentiles anymore. They believe in them as being fellow heirs to the kingdom of God as they accept Jesus Christ. Amen? And so what they did is they sent word to them and said, hey, there's a famine coming. It's been shown to us through the power of the Spirit. And so the warning was to protect them, and then they reciprocated that love by taking up an offering and saying, hey, we're going to try to provide for you guys when this famine comes. Could you imagine right now in the world that we live in where two cultural groups that hate each other suddenly one day started completely supporting each other and warning each other of possible potential harm? And I tell you, these are the things that only happen in Jesus Christ, in my opinion. Because I know this, when I was not in Jesus Christ, this was not what I did. I protected me, mine, and my own, right? But then you come to the Lord and you realize Jesus, right, willingly laid down his life for all of the world, for Jew and for Gentile. For he came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? Jesus said he did not come like a physician for those that are well. He came as a physician for those who knew they were sick, amen? I'm sick. I was sick, right? <laughs> I hope you guys know you're all sick in sin until you come to Jesus Christ. And then even then, we have this battle. We talked about it in the book of James this week. We got the spirit, we got the flesh. There's this war waging within us. And see, this is where the day of little things is important. Because even though you're in Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven you. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us, right? But does that take away the consequence of sin in our life? It doesn't, right? I think all of us can say we did things in the world that we might be still suffering the consequences of today. If we were to go outside the box of what the Lord has prescribed to us in the little things, we will note that there are consequences to sin still. But we've been forgiven in Jesus Christ, and because of that, we should love every neighbor as ourselves. Amen? And so in this section, they show back up, and it says that they fulfilled their ministry. This is funny to me because I'm like, man, this is just starting. This is the first chapter where Paul is about to be the focal point for like the rest of the book of Acts. And see, what this is, is they went and they fulfilled this like task, this good work that the Lord had prepared for them, like Ephesians 2.10 talks about. And when they came back from Jerusalem to Antioch, the Gentile church, here they are and they go, cool, we fulfilled our ministry. I don't know if you've ever been at this point. We're like, good, I did the thing the Lord called me to do, so now I just coast now, right? <laughs> I'm done now, right? We're only at chapter 13, right? This is going to go another 15, 16 chapters of Paul doing all kinds of things for the Lord, right? And see, Colossians 4.17, it tells us to take heed to yourself and to the ministry which the Lord has given you, that you may fulfill it. And see, sometimes we think the fulfillment only comes at the big events. Like, people like to think that pastors only work on Sundays, right? <laughs> I've found out that's not true. I got into this for all the wrong reasons, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. But it's very busy. It's, you have tons of stuff to do. Ministry is a busy life, and you can't just live for the big events. You need to be in it every day for the one-on-one -on -one mentoring, the one-on-one -on -one discipleship, the conversations between you and others, 
the Lord will speak through all these things. And you can't just hang it up and go, cool, I did my Sunday routine. I'm done now, right? Till next Sunday. Man, be in it. Fulfill the ministry, which is every day in the Lord, right? Look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13. And again, we're only going to verse 12 today, so we're going to take a little bit of time in these. It says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So this is a wonderful section here because what we have, again, the Lord's not done with these guys. Just when they got back from doing the work they thought they had to do, it's time to go again. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have been there. You think, hey, I'm finally in the place I need to be. And then I'm just looking at you guys because I know your life. Sorry. You guys get here. and You're like, this is awesome. We want to stay here. And what's the Lord do? Calls you away, right? Calls you to somewhere else. And who knows what that looks like? For me, we've been talking about it this week. I have visitors in town from our ch church in, in Pomona, California. And we're talking about how when we left to come here, that was a hard thing. We thought, man, like, this is where we're going to stay forever. This is the work that the Lord has for us. It's in Pomona, California. But then the Lord stirred and led us somewhere else. And I don't know about you guys in the room. Most Sundays, we're like almost all transplants in here. We may as well be Calvary Chapel transplant at this point. <laughs> and so all of us know this. I share these stories because we all relate to it. Where the Lord will call you into new seasons to do new things. You need to commit to it all the same, right? And see, this group of people that are referred to as the church at Antioch. The word church here is ecclesia. And I love this word because it comes from two words, ek and kaleo, together in that language, it means the called out. <laughs> and see, for us, we're, we should be called out in two ways. First of all, we're called out of the world, right? Praise the Lord, when we've accepted Jesus Christ, we respond to that free gift of God by responding to it, by walking in obedience to the commands of Jesus, right? That's the Great Commission, is not just to make disciples of all nations, but to teach them to obey the things that Jesus taught, right? Matthew 28, 20 tells us that. But also, a good friend of mine once told me, hey, if you want to be the called out, you've got to be prepared to get called out. <laughs> and I thought that was funny. It just stuck with me. And isn't there times when, whether it be the Holy Spirit, the guy up on stage in his Hawaiian shirt, or whoever else that convicts you with the words of the Bible, <laughs> sometimes you're like, man, that's uncomfortable, Right? Again, we have this battle that's raging in us day by day. And we have to get called out of the world and the Holy Spirit's going to call us out from those things and tell us, stop those things. It's time to leave those things and walk in Jesus. Amen? And see, that's what this church was. That's why they're called the Ecclesia. They're the called out. And I think it's awesome because we're told that there are these preachers and these, these uh, prophets, these teachers that are here. We get a whole list of them, prophets and teachers. We look at that and say, that's kind of interesting. What does that mean? They did the same thing we do on Sunday mornings. If you've ever wondered why we do this, it's not because I decided this would be a fun thing to study like a 3,000-year-old book. I just picked a random book or something, right? We pick the Word of God because it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living and powerful, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, right? Discerns the thoughts and intents of the hearts of men according to Hebrews 4.12. And see, as we open up this book, we teach what's in here to edify the body and to equip us for every good work. Amen? See, this isn't a spectator thing that we should be doing. 
I know we come in here on Sunday. This should be you guys getting fed by the Spirit. God forbid it's by me, right? I'm just here sharing the Word of God. But when you walk out filled with the Spirit and with the Word of God, you now have those things, those small works, those small things that may be very small in your mind. But can I tell you, in the, in the totality of all of these things, they come together to do something very miraculous. And people will come to Jesus Christ in sincerity and in faith as we preach the gospel. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... Hey, you guys know what you're doing. This is great. So as we look at this section, it lists all these different guys. And it's funny to me because you have this list. Barnabas. Here's a Jew that was from Cyprus. right? We, an island out in the Mediterranean Sea. We have Simeon who is called Niger. That literally means he was like black. He was a black guy. That's what that means in this section. And the next guy is Menaean, or I'm sorry, uh, Lucius from Serene. Serene was North Africa. So what we're seeing so far is you have a Jewish guy, you have probably two black guys, okay? And then you have Herod who came up, not Herod, you have Menaeus who came up with Herod, the Tetrarch. He came up with them. That means they were hanging out, they were in the same circle of friends. This is a regal, like, Jewish king, is essentially what Herod became, appointed by Rome. You have this guy from an island, two guys from Africa, you have another guy, it sounds like a beginning of a joke or something, right? You have all these guys, and then you have Saul, the Hebrew of Hebrews. He doesn't like the, the Roman party, and he's hanging out now with a guy that came up with Herod, and these guys from North Africa. You look at this and say, what do these guys have in common? Nothing but the Lord. <laughs> Can I tell you, this is what it should look like as we gather on a Sunday morning. <laughs> We come from all kinds of social, racial, economic backgrounds. And yet, let's be real, if we were in the world, we wouldn't have much to do with each other. But in Jesus Christ, we're bonded together like family, amen? And it's so cool to see this. I had someone email the website recently and ask about our church. They asked a, a, a list of questions. and They were all good questions. And one of them was, are you culturally diverse? And... I know, I, I don't know sometimes. I don't know because I can't see the other side of the email. Forgive me if that was you that emailed. I don't know if you're here today. But I know. Oh. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the benefit of the doubt that you were just asking. Because what can happen, let me tell you, it's a good question. What can happen is I only start preaching to people that look and act like me. Now there's another side of this where we like manufacture in man's ways that we must be culturally diverse. We have to make sure that our board is made up of one of every type of person, right? That's not what we need to do. I'll tell you what it is. As we take the gospel that's for all people, from all backgrounds, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get a melting pot of people that all look very different. But they're made in the image of, of the Lord and they're brought together and they're made more like Jesus as they walk in the power of the Spirit. Amen? This is what it should be. And see, I tell everyone, if everyone in the world today, in sincerity and in truth, gave their life to Jesus Christ, everything would be done that's evil. <laughs> You ever thought about that really? Now again, that's, that's a pipe dream. And we know according to the Word of God, that's not actually what happens. Many people will reject the Lord. But if everyone today submitted to the Holy Spirit, wouldn't racism go away? That, that's incredible, right? Everyone has a program, whether you're a county or a city or a state or a country, on how we're going like, to do away with racism. The problem is pride of man. The problem is the heart. The problem is sin. We don't have a race problem, we have a sin problem. And Jesus Christ takes that sin away and makes us new. Amen? And so we have this whole group here. And what are they doing? They're ministering to the Lord and they're praying and they're fasting. Man, talk about being called out. <laughs> These guys are acting like called out people. 
In Antioch, this was a dark place. Very Gentile place, very Roman place, right? Where we had lots of different gods. But now, all these guys from different backgrounds and different, probably different religions before are coming together and they're ministering to the Lord. And this idea for minister, it relates to two things. It relates to the book of Leviticus and how you would serve the Lord in reverence and uprightly. But it also refers to the word worship. Relates to that word. And see, for us, we came in here this morning to worship the Lord in music, right? Come to worship the Lord by opening His Word. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that we can worship the Lord by giving our life as a living sacrifice. Amen? The little things. Again, the day of the little things. Waking up in the morning and choosing to be the father, the husband, the wife, the daughter, the son that you are called to be in Jesus Christ. Not just showing up and checking the box at church. Praise the Lord that we're here to minister to one another, to be edified, to be equipped, but to go out and be the bride of Christ in this very dark, lost world. Amen? And so in this section, they're all doing this. They're all preparing these things. They're, they're walking the things of the Lord. And it says, as they fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. What do you know? When we seek the Lord, He speaks to us. When we in sincerity and in truth worship the Lord and seek Him, He's not the author of confusion, right? It's funny, there's no audible voice in this section that we can see here in the, in the language. They just knew. The Holy Spirit was telling them. Now, right now, separate to me Barnabas and Saul because I have work for them to do. Can I tell you how wild this is? Because Barnabas and Saul were the two top dogs at this church, right? They were the guys that showed up in Acts 11 and planted the thing and got it going, right? How scary would that be if we decided, I think on an earthly level, clearly, if me and the leadership team said, hey, we just got called to go somewhere else next week. You guys figure it out now. That would be kind of a wild word from the Lord, right? At any church, that's a big deal. I was talking with my friends this week, like, I love it. It's been a year, over a year since I left Pomona Valley, and I was the assistant pastor there. And I was sent, I shouldn't say left, that sounds wicked, sorry. I, I was sent, the body was fully behind us, and they actually, absolutely came behind us. But when we were going, we knew it was the Lord. Can I tell you how, like, it was almost like this heartbreaking, gut-wrenching feeling of, like, man, am I abandoning these people that I love? Am I leaving all these people... So like, who's going to do these things? And I was doing a lot of stuff. It was a big church with a small staff. And it's so funny, because can I tell you what it turns out? The Lord takes care of his church, amen? Turns out I'm not that important, <laughs> right? And let me tell you, if you're in that spot today, you're like, man, I just don't know, man. If I don't do this, no one's ever going to do it. The Lord has someone to do his works. And can I tell you how blessed we are to do them? But as we step out, I love this. It says, do it now. Now separate to me. For me, I kind of wanted to be like, well, maybe we can take our time. Maybe we can run some analytic reports, <laughs> do some data, do some demographic studies, right? No, go now. <laughs> That's kind of scary. That's trusting the Lord, though. Let me be clear. I'm not just saying you just decide anytime you're going to go. There's many times the Lord has called me, beginning to give me the call, just for coming out here. It took a year and a half before the Lord said, it's time to go now. But that stirring started in me. And I knew the Lord was doing something. And I had to fast and seek the Lord regularly. And you know what he did? He answered us. I think he answered my wife first because she's way holier than me. But <laughs> she was there. She's like, it's McKinney, Texas. I'm like, I just know we're going somewhere. And that was so cool. Like it just got confirmed by all these people within like two weeks, just spirit-filled believers. Like, dude, you ever heard of the city of McKinney? I'm like, did my wife put you up to this? Like, what is this, right? And they're like, no, really, we're going to go visit it. And they didn't even move here. But it's like the Lord used these people to kind of pave that way and give me that safety net of like, this is the Lord. And I don't know, again, transplants, you all have your story. I know it. I see tons of nodding heads. You're like, yes, we're living it, right? But the Lord's so good, amen? 
And so these guys go, they're called, but I think it's so great because in verse 3 it says they continued to fast and pray. Like, think about that. If I've prayed and fasted already and the Lord speaks to me, I'm, I'm usually like, cool, man, that's great. And I can go back to everything I was doing, right? No, continue to fast and pray through it. Because the leadership here, they're thinking, man, this is going to be hard. Someone in our group now has to step up to fill those spots, right? We don't want to do that in our own strength. We want to make sure that this is the Lord doing this. And it said in verse 3 that after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So this is interesting. I think it's 2 Timothy, let me give you the verse reference. 1 Timothy 5.22. It says, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. What that means is don't ordain someone hastily. Don't send someone and commission them quickly without considering if it's the Lord or not. Does that make sense? Can I tell you three things come out of sending someone that's not supposed to go when you're trying to send them as a man and not the spirit? Disappointment, division, and destruction. Three things that come from us deciding that we're going to send someone when the spirit's not in it. You see, there's always going to be disappointment when we send someone that wasn't actually called. Because we've told them, hey, you're like the hero of the faith. Go do this work, right? <laughs> and they fall on their face because it's in their flesh. They're disappointed and they may be like, man, I'm done with this whole thing. You have division that comes because maybe half the church says, dude, that guy's not called to this. And you've decided his leadership. Well, no, it just makes sense on all levels. He's talented. He's good looking. He's whatever. Let's send him out. Let's send her out as a missionary. Whatever that may be. And then that can bring division. The worst thing is when we send someone out and they actually succeed apart from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> You know what I mean? It looks like success. I'm always careful to judge things by numbers. Because, <laughs> man, people actually, I'll tell you, like, I was joking earlier. WrestleMania was in Dallas and I had 80,000 people at it. Does that mean it's of the Lord? <laughs> right? But no! Right? And I'm sorry, I know this. I'm sorry, old school wrestling fan. But I didn't watch it. I promise, dude, I'm not into that anymore. But I heard about it, right? It's crazy. And we're like, if there's 80,000 people there, that must be God. No! Coachella's really busy, right? These events, these concerts, are not, numbers mean nothing to the Lord. He doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, I believe, tells us that. And the reality is the Lord is calling you to do something. If He calls you and He's behind it, you can't stop it. And when you go in faith, praise the Lord for His glory, not for yours, for His glory and for His kingdom, Amen. And so look at verse 4 and 5. We see the commissioning. It says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews, and they also had John as their assistant. So we're basically told that these guys do indeed go in obedience. Praise the Lord for that. The leadership said, We trust the Lord to take care of His church. We believe this is the calling. We fasted and prayed go out, go do it, and they actually went. Like, this is a small, again, these are small things, right? But I think for many of us, we're like, that's, that's scary. I'm going to leave this whole thing, but we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to do this. And they go, it's 16 miles from Antioch to Seleucia. This is a port city that they show up to. And it says they go from there and they travel over to Cyprus, which is another 60 miles away from Seleucia. It's just kind of a subnote in there that they went to Seleucia. Um, I think it's interesting here because you got to assume that Paul and Barnabas did ministry everywhere they went. That wherever they were, even if it was for a short little time, if they're just in Seleucia for a day, I guarantee you they were doing something there. It may not be noted here in the book of Acts, but judging by the rest of the book and knowing the character of these guys, even in the little things, they were serving the Lord, right? 
But they didn't stay in Seleucia. They knew that that wasn't where they were supposed to finally stay. It was a season of sorts. I don't know about you guys. I have a tough time with seasons. When I get uncomfortable somewhere, I want to stay there forever. And see, for these guys, it's kind of like they're in Seleucia. They're close enough to Antioch to go back if they need to for something. They probably could have said, like, cool, we went. We left the church of Antioch. Let's just compromise and stay here. But they didn't. They went over to Cyprus where the Lord had called them. Amen? And I don't know about you guys, but it's so easy to go, okay, I left the one thing. I'm a compromised obedience. I'm halfway to what the Lord would call me to do. I don't want to go all the way out there. <laughs> but in this case, they go all the way to the city Salamis. I, I, I like to say Salamis because I'm Italian, right? But sorry if I call it Salamis. Salamis. Um, it's the largest city on the eastern side of the island. And it was this big place with lots of mixed, uh, many Gentiles, mostly Gentiles, but we see from verse 4 and 5 that there were actually several synagogues. It was with an S, right? It was plural. So there's many Jews in this, in this place. And I think it's great. They go to the synagogues first and they start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the synagogues. And think about this. Saul. <laughs> I think it's cool you have Saul and Barnabas. I love that they're sent out in pairs. That's really important, I believe, to have that accountability. Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs, Right? In this case, these guys go out in a pair and you have Paul, who's just bold as all get out, and you have Barnabas the encourager. That's a good balance, I feel like, for ministry. If you're both too bold or you're both too encouraged, you're either going to get walked over or you're going to hate everybody, right? That's usually what happens. You're gonna, it, it has to be that balance, right? And in this case, these guys go out there, they go to the synagogues. And you say, why go to the synagogues? Well, there's two main reasons. First of all, we know that at the synagogue, if you were a Jewish visitor, and they could tell you were a Jewish person, your Jewish man, they'd say, hey, at the end of the reading, does anyone have something to share on this? Think about Saul, a guy that knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand, right? And he now is this powerful instrument of Jesus Christ for some 14 or 15 years at this point. And he says, hey, I have something to say about this passage, <laughs> right? They're talking about wait, waiting for the Messiah. And he says, no, 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 the Messiah has come. And he was rejected. He was crucified because of the blindness of man and their sin. But today, you could repent of that sin by putting your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah and Savior. Amen? You could see him standing up and doing this, and I'll tell you, this is what Jesus did. Remember in Luke, I think it's Luke 4, where Jesus stands up, he opens the scroll, reads it, and says, that's about me. I'm, I, am, I have been sent, I've been anointed by the Spirit of God to preach the gospel of the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to those who are captive in recovery of sight to the blind. He says, that's me. And so he went to the Jews first because that was the model, right? It was the a message of a coming Messiah and who had the hope of a Messiah? It was the Jews. Gentiles had hundreds of gods, right? A Messiah means nothing to them. But if he comes in and says, hey guys, you're waiting for the Messiah. He's come, he has shown up. It just makes sense that that message would go first to them. Does that make sense, guys? But let's be clear. I look at this room right now and I feel like we're all pretty much Gentiles in here. I don't know, for the most part. <laughs> we don't need to find a synagogue anymore. You can absolutely, you cross the path with someone, you teach them about the Lord. But now any, every man, every woman, whoever we encounter, we need to tell them about Jesus Christ. Amen? And see, we might say, well, do I have to go to a church to do that? No, go to your workplace. <laughs> go to your family gathering. I, I'm betting there's some sinners there. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm one. I go to mine. I'm a sinner. Right? But like, man, there's people that need the gospel is my point, right? And those are small things that we write off. It's like, oh, no, man, I'll just wait for like the next time we host like a Harvest America event, right? We'll wait for the big revival. No, go out and do the little things. Amen? 
And so in this section, they're here, and it says that in verse 5 that they had John Mark with them. We talked about him last week, I believe. John Mark is the nephew of Barnabas, according to Colossians. And he was a guy, he's going to become a little bit of a point of division between these guys later down the road, right? But right now, man, Saul and Barnabas, they have him there. And they took him with them when they went and ran that fund, that relief fund over to Jerusalem, right? I think what we see here is a healthy discipleship. See, what we need to do is if we think we're called or someone is called to the Lord, again, this goes back to laying hands hastily. We want to give them opportunities to make sure that that potential that's in them becomes prominence in the Lord by actually training them to be and be equipped to do the work of the Lord. Does that make sense? Let me explain this. I was telling someone this week, 13 years ago, I accepted an invite to teach a boys' sleepover at Calvary Chapel, Pasadena in California. And I accepted not ever teaching the Bible like before in front of a group. <laughs> And it was my very first time teaching the Bible. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm, not, I'm a worship leader. I don't teach the Bible. This isn't what I do. And the guys that were there said, man, we'll teach you how to do this. This guy, Diego, is like a good friend of mine still to this day. And he just kind of poured into me, like a big brother in the faith. I was a relatively new believer. And he says, I see some potential in you. I want to help get you to where you need to be. And then it was funny. I taught that, men's, or that boy's sleepover. And then it became, hey, teach the boys retreat. Okay, a little bit longer. Not just a devotional this time. It's a full study. Okay. Now, will you get in the rotation for the boys? Okay, we teach in the group. Will you do Sunday nights? You want to do Tuesday mornings? Like, it turns into this thing where you look back, you're like, how did I get here, right? I'll tell you, I didn't wake up 14 years ago when I came to the Lord and said, I'm going to plant a church in McKinney in a hotel somewhere. <laughs> Can I tell you, it was the small things. It was day by day, step by step. Think about Moses. For 40 years, he's in the house of, of the Pharaoh. Then for 40 more years, he's in the backside of the desert. Then the Lord calls him and says, now it's time. You've been trained on how to take care of stinky sheep. <laughs> Go take care of Israel now. The people that are going to hate on you all the time. The people that don't want to walk in my ways. Go take care of them. Go shepherd them. Minister them. And see, for John Mark, he got to observe what ministry looks like as he went and ran that errand, that good work of the Lord with, John, or with, with Saul and Barnabas. Now he's actually called an assistant. I think that's kind of neat. Now he's like the armor bearer. They're like, okay, you proved yourself. You ran with us. You didn't quit on us. Go ahead and come, come with us and we'll show you more how to do ministry. And I believe that this week, the reason the Lord slowed me down on this passage is to remind everyone in here two things about mentoring. You can't mentor someone else until you're willing to be mentored. And I'm not talking about just by men. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the Word of God. I'm talking about in Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, well, hey, I know about the gospel. Praise the Lord. Go tell someone that doesn't know about the gospel. You're one step ahead of them. But to think that now you have some spiritual authority to do all these things just because you've decided, man, that takes time, right? It takes time to be refined. And that refinement is never finished on this side of eternity, amen? Sanctification is what we call that process. We are justified in Jesus Christ the moment we believe, amen? But sanctification all the way to glorification. And so part of that sanctification for me Yes, I, I, I teach people the Word of God, but can I tell you, I'm being taught all the time by men that still pour into my life. Good men of God. And I wouldn't be here, be able to do what I'm doing without them taking that time to pour into me. And so what I will tell you is, as you get poured into, pour into someone else. Amen? You guys all have someone in your life that you can lead closer to Jesus somehow. The person that has never heard of the gospel in all sincerity, you can tell them about it. If you've been walking with the Lord for 15 years, you know everything in this Bible. Praise the Lord for that. Go 
go raise up a young man, raise up a young woman. Same sex, by the way. Don't go out mentoring young ladies if you're a grown man, okay? Side note, just saying, lots of destruction comes from things like this. But the reality is, man, always be, be seeking opportunities to do those works in the Lord, amen? Jesus said in Luke 6, 39, 40, uh, 39 and 40, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And see, the root of discipleship shouldn't be you being made more like me, it's you becoming more like Jesus. Paul said, don't imitate me. You imitate me as I imitate Jesus, right? You're, technically, you're following me to follow Jesus. Take me out of the equation. You should just be following Jesus. Amen? And so now there's this confrontation. This is kind of where it picks up for me. I think this section is awesome. Look at verses 6 through 7. It says, Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So at this point, they now leave Salamis, no, Salamis, and they go over to Paphos, 100 miles away, and they go over there and they start ministering in Paphos. And let me give you some background on Paphos. So far, we know that there's a governor that lives there because this is like the, the regal capital of the island of Cyprus. This is where the Romans are dominating the island and oppressing the people in the sense that they're over the Jews or anyone else and they're over the Gentiles of the region, right? So this is like the capital. There's going to be tons of Gentiles here that belong and, and, and bow to Rome. But also that means there's tons of gods, right? Remember, mythological gods. You can, I, I don't know anything about these guys. I hear some names sometimes. I don't study the fake things. I study the real thing, amen? But it's funny. There's too many to study. You couldn't even keep up with all the mythological gods, <laughs> But can I tell you one that they talk about in Paphos? It's Aphrodite. It was, or Venus, one of the two, however you want to translate it. But the reality is this was the god of like sex, immorality, passion, desire. And they had a temple there in old Paphos, about seven miles away from where the current Paphos was. And everyone there basically lived in a culture that was all about sexual gratification and immorality. I know we don't know any cultures like that, right? I don't, know, I don't think there's any, oh, that's right. We live in that culture, right? But remember, what are you to be? You're to be called out of those things. And so it's interesting. We have this culture that is just absolutely entrenched in all this wickedness. And you got a sorcerer here. <laughs> this guy barred Jesus. That means son of Yahweh. And he's a false prophet, right? That sounds like this is no good, right? He's calling himself the son of God. He's a Jew, by the way. So he probably came in saying like, oh man, I'm, I'm related to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Romans, you need to hear from me because I'm important, right? This is the same thing Simon did back in Acts 8. Do you remember when Simon was a sorcerer? And let me be clear, when we say the word sorcerer, we're not talking like Harry Potter, right? We're not talking about sleight of hand tricks. We're talking about demonic power that is being used to convince people that they were of light and of truth when in reality they were of darkness. Does that make sense? And so you have a city that is entrenched in immorality and this guy that says that he's the son of God and he's doing like, like big miraculous things through demonic power. <laughs> Is it no wonder why Paul and Barnabas or Saul and Barnabas were called to this place? You and I, again, I joke that we live in this culture. We might not say there's a sorcerer out there today that we have to go talk to, but spiritual darkness is prevalent everywhere. We see the actions of people in the world. Again, we used to be this way. I pray that we don't look down our nose at this. <laughs> you once were lost, but now you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ according to 1 Corinthians 6.11. Amen? 
but people that are still lost, man, it's a mess out there. They're just shrouded in darkness, and they're being led by things they don't even realize are of Satan. And they're bowing to it all day long. And why would we go out there? Because we have the light of the world, Jesus Christ. We have the light of truth. And can I tell you again, the world is so hungry for truth right now. I Honestly, you can make a public service announcement today that the safest thing to do is to jump out of an airplane and people be like, oh, awesome, dude, let's do it, right? Like, people are so ready for truth. And the reality is so much truth, fake truth is being given to them. And it's sad because the church has the truth, the real truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. And I only know that because I'm sitting in a room with many people that believe in Jesus Christ and it's replicated, right? We have a personal Lord and Savior that met us right where we were at. Your life may have looked very different than mine, but somehow we had the same experience in the sense that we have been justified and now we're being sanctified, amen? The proof is in the pudding, so to speak. And so as we go out and do this, the world is desiring. They don't know. They've been made to be reconciled to the Lord through Jesus Christ. And everything else is not going to work. But we have the recipe for truth. Amen? We have the way, the truth, the life, Jesus Christ. So these guys go in and it says that Bargius was with Sergius Paulus. That means that he was actually part of his party. That means like he had some kind of position with Sergius Paulus. And people believe that it was probably some kind of counselor position. What this means is that this guy, this false prophet, was exalted over, over into some spot where Sergius says, man, you're a smart guy. I believe what you're doing because I see this powerful stuff in your life. Can I tell you so many people are submitted without even realizing to all kinds of false truth today again, and they're blinded by sin. They're blinded by the father of lies, right? The reality is here, as, they're, as it says that he's with him, He's probably been taking counsel from Bar-Jesus. But it's interesting, it says that he sought out Saul and Barnabas, right? Why would Sergius Paulus go and seek out Saul and Barnabas? I think he's been trying the truth that Bar-Jesus has been selling, and it's not satisfying him. I think he says, man, Bar-Jesus says that he's the son of God. <laughs> but man, he may be powerful, but it's not doing anything for me. I'm still needing something else. And I think Saul and Barnabas, who have been out doing the small things, they didn't go straight to the governor's office, right, to preach. They went out to the synagogues, and somehow the reputation made it all the way up. The Lord was working in the heart of this powerful leader over here. See, Saul and Barnabas had no idea when they left Antioch that they were going to be standing before this governor, right? But the small things led them there, amen? Don't, don't despise the small things. And so he calls for them, and they go, but look what happens in verse 8. It says here, But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Elimus is the Arabic translation of Bar-Jesus. It's the same guy. Don't get confused on this. He has two names, basically. And the reality is he sees these guys and he immediately begins to withstand them. Can I tell you why this is? He knows that if the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ shows up, he will be absolutely done with. His power will be nothing before the one true God. Amen? And he immediately turns into, man, I got to oppose these guys. I have to stop these guys. And it says, why did he do this? Because he wanted to turn Sergius away from believing in Jesus Christ. That's millstone territory, right? Jesus said, you caused one of my little ones to stumble. It'd be better if you put a millstone around you and get thrown into the water. That's like gangster godfather kind of stuff, right? Like, that's gnarly. And Jesus says, don't do that. That's literally what this guy is doing. 
He says, I need to keep you blinded from the truth. And he's a false prophet being used, using demonic powers. Is that not like totally sick to see this? But the reality is, doesn't Satan do the same to us when we're apart from Jesus Christ? Before we come to the Lord, we're bound in our sin. And he wants to keep us blinded from the truth. He'll give us anything else to believe in. Because there's only one way to God the Father. And it's Jesus Christ. He doesn't care if you believe in Buddha. He doesn't care if you believe, if you want to be a Jehovah's Witness, if you want to do all these weird cult things. You need to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. When you believe that He is who He says He is, you will pass from death into life and from judgment into eternal life. Amen? And see, Satan will let you believe anything else. You want to be a good human, moral, good. Just don't believe in Jesus. And see, it comes from Satan's pride. You remember why Satan left heaven? He wanted to be God. He hates when God gets treated like God. It makes him angry. And you and I, as we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, it's just a slap in the face to his plan and his agenda. And I don't know how this works. Satan's either, I don't know what his deal is, right? You've read the Bible, right? You know how this ends, dude. You get crushed. Read Romans 16, right? Read Genesis 3, 15 from the beginning, right? But he's convinced, I believe, because he's the father of lies, he's lied to himself that he could still win this battle. And there is a true spiritual battle that is happening, and he wants to keep you blind and deaf and unconnected from Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ in his goodness came and died for you. So that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? But it takes faith to believe that. And this morning you don't believe that, but your heart's beating against your ribcage, your chest right now, because you know it's truth, because you were made to accept this truth. And the reality is that shows it. And so this guy goes, no, man, anyone but these guys, right? <laughs> if someone else would have shown up, I could have maybe like tricked them with my cool like demonic, you know, secret tricks that I do. But here's Saul and Barnabas, they show up. And it's wild here because when they get here, look at what happens in verse, in verse 9 and 10. It says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And again, it's a good thing it's not just Barnabas here, because Barnabas probably would have just prayed with this guy or something, I think, sometimes, because he's an encourager, right? I think sometimes that's our, we're like, hey, man, that's not a good idea. You shouldn't be opposing me to get out the gospel. Paul's like, dude, you are a son of the devil. How dare you, right? But I love this. The first thing he does in verse 9 is he stares him down, right? It says that he's filled with the Spirit. He looked intently at him. He's mad-dogging him in the Spirit. He's like, oh, I know you didn't just come over here and oppose me this whole time as I'm preaching the gospel, dude. Like, he's like, you could just imagine. And Bar-Jesus is a Jew. Remember what Saul was? He was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Hebrew of Hebrews. He's oh, you want to come at me like you're some fancy Jew? Oh, I got you beating that, right? I'll beat you on every level, man. Like, come over here. I'm not afraid of you. Can I tell you how many times we encounter the enemy? Well, we're out to preach the gospel and we want to back down because like opposition arises. Can I tell, and I'm speaking as a pastor, right? Like, there's times I'm in the grocery store and in line, the Lord's like, share with that person. I'm like, that's going to be awkward. Like, no, nah, I'm just trying to get my like Pop-Tarts or whatever, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not trying to do that. But the Lord... The Lord wants us to serve. He wants us to tell people. And for Paul, he's not worried. This is a powerful sorcerer. You don't get that title unless you've done some really wild things, right? 
this is like, I don't know, this is like, to me, it's like stepping in a boxing ring, it's like Mike Tyson. You're like, this might not be a good idea. This guy's really powerful, right? Paul's not afraid of this guy. Because Paul knows that he himself is filled with the Spirit, called by God, and that he has the words of truth, the gospel, that the, the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church and the gospel. Amen? 1 John 4.4 4 tells us that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so Saul, he's just staring at this guy. I love it. He's just looking at him like, dude, who are you? Who do you think you are just standing here, running your mouth? Because he's been opposing everything that they've been saying. See, the word for, for which stood is to pervert the words or alter the words that were being preached. I don't know if you've ever been there where you're ministering to someone and their buddy is over here and he's like, no, nah, it's not true, man. I read in a book one time this, that, or the other thing. And you're like, dude, I wish this guy would shut up, man. Like, he's, this is frustrating, right? And he's just getting in the way of someone believing. And see, this whole time, Saul and Barnabas been preaching to Sergius Paulus, the governor. And here's Elemis or Bar-Jesus. He's just talking to him like, no, that's not true because let me show you a trick, right? I don't know, whatever he's doing. And so he tells him, he says, flat out, he says, you are absolutely wicked, right? Again, full of all deceit and all fraud. That's a big statement. You're full to the top of just deceit. You're absolutely deceptive. Can I tell you again who else is deceptive? Is Satan himself. He's there trying to get people not to believe upon the name of Jesus. And he absolutely rebuked it. He said, this is opposite of God. You say that you're the son of Yahweh or the son of Jesus or whatever you want to call yourself. You're actually a son of the devil. <laughs> Remember, we talked about nicknames, right? We had uh, Barnabas, right? He was son of encouragement. Son of a devil. I think I've had that name in the time back in the day, right? Like, I never really got son of encouragement before the Lord. But there's a lot of sons of the devil in the world today. <laughs> they go out there and they're trying to prevent people from believing in Jesus. And it's deception. And see, in this case, he says, man, this is not good because at the end of the day, you're an enemy of what is right. See, the world will tell you they're trying to just look out for your best interests. There was a celebrity recently. She made several videos saying, guys, I just, I'm just here to tell you, you don't have to worry about the lie of hell. Just live the way you want to live. That's just the church trying to scare you. Person that does like Disney movies. She's like a star in Disney movies. She's telling kids, don't worry about hell. That's not true. Literally millstone territory, right? Your, your market is little kids. And you're telling them there's no hell. Just live however you want. Whatever you feel like today, whatever your heart tells you, do it. Can I tell you, Jeremiah has something to say about the heart. <laughs> he says, deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked and no one can know it. You might say, I want to do this because my heart told me. You don't even know your own heart. It's so deceptive. That's why you need Jesus Christ. That's why you need the word that is true north. You need the Holy Spirit to lead you, guide you, and direct you. And until you do, you're going to be walking in absolute disarray in this life. Nothing is going to work and make sense. You can have everything you ever desired in this world that will not fulfill you. There's a God-shaped heart, a hole in your heart that needs to be filled by Jesus Christ. Amen? And so the last thing we see, look at verse 11 and 12. This is where we finish today. It says, And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul, or the governor, believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. <laughs> so imagine, Paul's like, I'm not afraid of you, man. Don't mess with me. Like, I'm telling you, you better repent of this. And what does he tell him? He says, look, at the end of the day, judgment's going to come on you for walking in these things. I war I'm warning you, don't do this. And what happens? This guy must, because I have to believe 
Saul wants this guy, he wants everyone in the room to come to faith, right? Saul's not just here for a fist fight. Saul's here to get people to come to the Lord. This guy is absolutely refusing, and he's trying to stumble someone else. And now Paul says, all right, here comes the hand of the Lord. And in this gift of faith of sorts, we see the first miracle, miracle of Paul in Acts. You ever thought about that? It wasn't to give sight to a blind man. It was to blind a proud man. That's crazy, right? We don't like those miracles. That's why we, I said at the beginning, we never talk about this passage as one of the cool miracles of Acts because we're like, ooh, that's a little scary, right? I don't want to tell people, hey, you're going to be blinded if you don't believe. We like the jailbreaks, right? We like the survival of shipwreck where we're hanging onto boards and getting through like surfing in the ocean kind of thing, right? That's in Acts 27. They don't really surf, but you know what I mean. The reality is we don't talk about the section much because it's heavy. But did you catch what happened here? It said that there was a temporary blindness that fell upon Bar-Jesus. Remember what Bar-Jesus was? He was a Jew, right? I believe that there is a deep spiritual parallel here. See, as the Jewish man was rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, a temporary blindness came over him. Can I tell you that Paul later wrote in Romans 11, 25-26, he said, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part, speaking of spiritual blindness, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away in godliness from Jacob. Let me tell you what this means. As Saul looks at this Jewish man that is refusing the gospel, he says, the hand of the Lord is going to judge you for this. He makes clear, this isn't my magic trick. I'm not like you, Bar-Jesus. I don't get to do little tricks whenever I feel like it. This is the hand of the Lord doing this to you. Temporary blindness is coming upon you because you've resisted and rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And see, we're told in Zechariah, it's Zechariah 12:10, that one day the Jews are going to look at the nation of Israel after they've followed the Antichrist, the false prophet, after they've followed these men. 2 Thessalonians 2, if you want to read about that. Daniel 9, if you want to read about that. Revelation, if you want to read about that. It's in a lot of our Bible. Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus talks about this, right? This isn't my made-up thing. This is a real thing. Prophetically, there is someone that's coming that the world is going to put their trust in. He says that he's the Son of God and God himself, basically, just like Bar-Jesus tried to do. And people will follow it as they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? But yet, one day, the Lord is so good that the nation that he covenanted with a long time ago, way back with Abraham, right? He says, I will come out of Zion, out of heaven, I will deliver you. And it tells us in Zechariah 14, 6, I believe, that he lands and he'll come down and his foot is going to crack open the Mount of Olives. How crazy is that? Like, we can talk about this like it's fact because, A, it's written in the Old Testament. It's not a new principle. And it, Jesus himself spoke of this in Matthew 24, 25. And I don't think Jesus was a liar. I believe Jesus meant what he said. And can I tell you the hope that's here? First of all, for the nation of Israel, though that currently they have rejected as a whole, there are Jewish believers. We, there, there's a whole organization called Jews for Jesus. They believe they're completed Jews. Praise the Lord for that. Generally speaking, the nation of Israel is ripe to receive a false prophet, an antichrist, and believe on him. And not until that peace treaty is broken, Daniel 9, they're going to realize, man, we put our faith in the wrong person. And Jesus shows up and he delivers them as they trust in him. Those that do not take that mark, that do not follow that way, and they're on the run, they're in persecution, Jesus shows up and delivers them. Amen? 
Can I tell you the coolest thing about that? That's Jesus coming down to the earth. There's a thing that happens before all of this called the rapture. And you're, it turns out you're getting my whole theology this morning. Sorry. Here we go. So the rapture is where Jesus comes down to the clouds and all the way down to earth, the church goes up to meet him. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it happened to Enoch in Genesis 5.24, I believe. And then in Romans 11.6, I believe it is, talks about the fact that that's what happened to Enoch. Elijah went up in a chariot of fire. He's going to come back as a witness, right? These are true biblical things. But who goes in that rapture? The church of Jesus Christ. Who is the church? It's the ecclesia, the called out. It's the people are living unto Jesus Christ. Amen? You put your faith in Jesus, live in it day in and day out, and we will be blessed. I believe, we, no man knows the day or the hour for the rapture. No one knows. It could be a thousand years. I don't think so. I think it's soon. What do I know, though, right? But I'd rather live like it's today than think it's coming some years later, and I believe everything's there. There's nothing left that needs to happen. Lord, come right now and take his church home. And man, I want to live with expectation. Now again, I say it all the time, by rapture or by rupture, I am going to meet the Lord face to face. Amen? <laughs> So let me be clear. May not happen in our lifetime. That's okay. We're going to be before the Lord. We, I want to finish the race well. Amen? And to continue this parallel, last thing is notice that the Gentile leader, Sergius Paulus, what did it say he did? He believed in the, in the teaching of the Lord. While the Jew rejected it, was given to temporary blindness, the Gentile believed in it. Here we are, Roma Gentiles, very far away from Israel, and here we are believing on Jesus Christ today. Amen? We have believed and we're blessed to be grafted into that covenant and that plan for the Jews. And now we're here and it's for every man. Jesus Christ came to die for all men. And as we believe in that, it's awesome. We get to go out and it says that he believed in the teaching of the Lord. It wasn't the miracle that made him believe. It was the teaching. We said earlier, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... Not by seeing miracles, by hearing the word of God. But miracles will come and they can authenticate the message of the word. Jesus did this in three different ways. This is how we end today. Matthew 5, 1 through 11, he taught on a beach and said, hey, I am the son of God. I am Lord. I am Savior. Believe in me. And then he went out and he created this great catch of fish showing that he had authority over creation itself. Then he taught in Matthew 9, 1 through 8, he taught people about, hey, I can forgive sins. He told the paralytic man, right? I forgive you of your sins. They're like, dude, we brought you here to heal him, right? Why are you forgiving him of his sins? <laughs> heal his legs. And the people in the room, the religious leaders said, you have no authority to forgive sins unless you're God. He said, to prove that I can do this, I'm going to heal this guy. And he healed him showing he had authority over sin and forgiveness. And the last big thing, Luke 6, Jesus taught the Sermon on the Plain. Luke's version of the Beatitudes. Basically, Jesus explaining how to see the kingdom of heaven, how to get there what it all meant. And you're like, who are you to do this, man? Who, do you, who are you? You're the carpenter's son. In Luke 7, he healed the centurion's servant and then raised a widow's son back to life, proving that he had authority over sickness and over death as well. See, the reality is, as Paul stood against this man and called out blindness from God in faith and it fell upon Elymas, this proconsul said, man, I was believing your word, but now I see it in action. I absolutely believe and see, the reality is you might not have some kind of miracle in your life in regards to sickness or being raised from death physically. But as you've been raised to life in Jesus Christ spiritually, every day you walk, you go, man, the Lord is good. Life itself is a miracle. Amen? And see, when Sergius Paulus said, man, I have Bargius' truth, 
his truth and I have Paul's truth. Which one am I going to put my faith in? It's the one with the evidence that this is the truth, the true gospel. And at the end of the day, this Gentile ruler said, man, I'm a ruler, but I need Jesus Christ. And this morning, wherever you're at, I'll tell you, the Lord desires that you would trust in him, you'd respond to that free gift of eternal life, not free to Jesus, he paid the price, but free to us. And we'd respond by living our life as a living sacrifice. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord, and we just thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and for your grace and for your love. And Lord, right now, I just pray for my fellow believers in the room, Lord, that as we walk out of this place, that we'd be filled with your spirit, ready to answer the call that you have for us in this life, Lord. Day by day, that we would walk it out, Lord. And Father, I pray for anyone here that doesn't already know you, Lord Jesus, today is the day of salvation. You have said this in your word, that all we have to do to begin this relationship is to confess with our mouth that you are Lord and believe in our heart that you have been raised from the dead by God the Father. And as strange as that may sound to some ears in this room that have been blinded for years by the, the spiritual darkness, Lord, I believe that right where they sit, again, they know that you're testifying to their heart, Lord. And so right now, if you're in this room and you feel like, man, I haven't really believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have not been set apart. I have not been called out or consecrated. And I'm not living the way I should be. Today, you can begin walking that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so right where you sit in the silence of your heart, it begins right here. You can say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, hey, if anyone said that prayer with me this morning, come talk to me. We'll give you a Bible, give you some apps to help you continue growing the Lord. And anyone that needs prayer for anything in particular, grab someone here. Come talk to me. We want to pray for you. Otherwise, we'll see you guys Thursday night for the men's study, uh, Saturday at the park for the picnic, Sunday, Palm Sunday, right? Have a blessed day.